continue our journey through Exodus, I would encourage you to turn in your Red Pew Bible to page 61, Exodus chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that by your spirit, you inspired the prophets and the apostles to put pen to paper, to write your word so that we might have your written word today. Oh God, we pray that as we read your word, that you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that our hearts might be opened and transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Exodus chapter five, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of the bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let the heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can. Find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for the straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, and the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel, the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble When they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh 
and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they have lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Isn't that a depressing verse? Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. Moses comes to the people of Israel with good news, a word of deliverance, a word of hope, and yet they do not listen to Moses because they are so focused on the current problems of the present. They don't have ears to hear the good news that Moses is bringing. I like the way that Eugene Peterson translates Exodus chapter 6, verse 9 in his uh, message, the message, his uh, contemporary English translation of the Bible. But when Moses delivered this message to the Israelites, they didn't even hear him. They were that beaten down in spirit by the harsh slave conditions. Life has gone from bad to worse for the people of Israel. The enslaved Israelites have been forced to produce a a certain number of bricks each day using clay, mud, and straw. But now they have no straw. The straw is no longer provided. They're going to have to find the straw on their own. You see, in ancient times, they would make bricks with mud, clay, and straw, and and a strong brick would be used a lot. A strong brick would use a lot of straw because it made it more pliable and stronger. Ideally, the enslaved Israelites would use a a significant uh, ingredient. uh, They would use a lot of uh, straw. In fact, they'd use at least uh, one half pound of straw for every cubic foot of mud for the bricks. It was a significant ingredient. You needed a lot of straw to make a lot of bricks, and yet now they had no straw. They had to go find their own straw. Unfortunately, Moses and Aaron have made things worse for the people of Israel. Things have gone from bad to worse as they've asked Pharaoh to let God's people go. Have you ever been there? Ever felt like things have gone from bad to worse? If you're like me, you go through seasons where things aren't going that great, and then they get even worse. 
I'm sure we've all had those seasons of life. I saw my father recently go through that. In February, he was re-diagnosed with prostate cancer after having been uh, treated uh, two years uh, before with uh, prostate cancer through radiation. His PSA count shot up, and so he had to uh, get more treatment. In fact, this time they took him to MD Anderson so they could get the best prognosis possible, the best treatment plan possible. And they got a great treatment plan, and they moved to Amarillo. My father moved to Amarillo because we have two cancer centers here. There's only one in Midland, and they wanted to make sure they got the best doctors possible. And so they began the treatment plan. It started with radiation, and then they started chemo. And that first round of chemo was a very powerful form of chemo. And my father, unfortunately, couldn't hold anything down for quite some time. But eventually they gave him some nausea medicine. And he was able to get through that, and he successfully completed the first round of chemotherapy. And then he began that second round of chemotherapy, and we were all hopeful. But then one night, as he was heading to the bathroom, he fell and broke his hip, and things went from bad to worse. Not only does he have cancer, now he has a broken hip, requiring surgery. He had to learn how to walk again. What are we to do when things go from bad to worse? What did the Israelites do when things went from bad to worse? Well, in Exodus chapter 5, we saw that Pharaoh has his man beat the Israelite foremen, the Israelites who were serving as foremen over the slaves of Israel. And when they failed to meet their daily quota, he had those Israelite foremen beaten. And when things go from bad to worse, these foremen begin to complain to Pharaoh, and then they eventually curse Moses and Aaron. We read about it in Exodus chapter 5, verse 19. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. For the foremen of of the Israelites, it was Pharaoh, Moses, and Aaron who were to blame for their predicament. But notice in verse 22 how Moses responds to this complaint. He doesn't argue with the foreman of Israel. He doesn't say, no, really, it's Pharaoh's fault. We're just the messengers. Don't shoot us. They don't point to God and say, well, God sent us. What does Moses do in verse 22? We read in Exodus 5, 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. When things aren't going our way and we have an issue with a a person, do we we confront that person and, and start arguing with them to try to win an argument? Or maybe what we should do is we should go to the Lord first, as Moses does. After all, everyone has been created in the very image of God. Maybe we should turn to God, our creator, to help us in our times of trouble. After all, that's what the passage that Dan read just a moment ago in Philippians is encouraging us to do. In Philippians chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, who's beginning to experience persecution. He tells them in Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How is it possible to rejoice in the midst of suffering? I mean, 
This seems very Pollyannish. Were, were the people of Israel supposed to rejoice? Were the foremen supposed to rejoice as they were being beaten by the taskmasters? Were the people of Israel supposed to rejoice when they realized they were given a quota that they couldn't possibly meet without the straw being provided? Was my father supposed to rejoice when he broke his hip on top of having cancer? Is Paul crazy? Did Paul rejoice when he was going through suffering? Actually, he did. We see it in Acts chapter 16, the story of how Paul helped start the church in Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, after preaching the gospel, uh, a mob begins to attack him after they've cast out a demon. We read about it in Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 25. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows, blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. With bruised backs, bloody beaten backs, feeling quite uncomfortable with their legs strapped in stocks in the innermost sanctum of the cell of the Roman prison, Paul and Silas, rather than complaining or groaning or moaning, are praising God. The NIV says they were singing hymns of praise to God, and it caught everyone's attention. The fellow prisoners were listening. The jailer was listening, thinking, how is it possible to praise God in the midst of such dark and painful circumstances? How is it possible for us to rejoice in the Lord always? Again, Paul says, rejoice. I believe the answer is found in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. For Paul goes on to tell the church in Philippi, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. While Paul and Silas were bruised, beaten with their legs, stuck. Uh, strapped in stocks in the inner darkness of a prison cell, rather than focusing on their current pain and their current problems, they were remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. They were remembering the call of God. They were remembering that, that God raised Jesus on the third day. They were remembering the victory that we have in Jesus. They were focused on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And that's what God is telling Moses, the people of Israel should do in Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus chapter 6, God hears the complaint of Moses and how he hasn't yet delivered the people and how everyone's grumbling and upset and wishing that Moses and Aaron had never talked to Pharaoh because life has gotten harder for them. And then God speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 to 8, we read, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, Yahweh. I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and you... You will be, I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the God who has always existed, the Tabever we talked about last week, the God who is and who always will be, the God who created everything that is, all that exists is because of this great God, and he will be with the people of Israel because of the covenant he has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, the Lord was faithful. He was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why God reminds Moses about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know the story. The Lord was faithful to give Abraham and Sarah when Abraham was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90 years old and no one thought they would ever have children, a child of their own. They gave them, God gave them Isaac, a child of their own. God is reminding Moses that he appeared to Abraham. We read about this appearance actually in Genesis chapter 15 While Abram is still childless, God tells Abram to look at the stars in the sky, to count them if he can. And he says, so will your children be. And it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then in in Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, we read, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. In Exodus chapter six, God is reminding the people of Israel how he he spoke to Abram and And how their enslavement is a fulfillment of prophecy. God knew this was going to happen. And God tells them that he had planned to deliver them. He told Abram that he was going to deliver them. He's reminding them of of God's faithfulness to to provide that child Isaac for Abraham. Yes, our God has always been faithful to fulfill his word. The Lord was faithful to give a child to Abraham. The Lord was faithful to give a wife to Isaac. The Lord was faithful to rescue Jacob from certain death. Our God has always been faithful to fulfill his promises. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past helps us deal with the problems of the present. Sadly, the Israelites have forgotten about God's faithfulness. The Israelites are are too discouraged by their current circumstances and the enslavement and and the beatings and the unrealistic quotas to have any remembrance or to even begin to think about God's faithfulness in the past. But remembering God's faithfulness in the past helps us deal with the problems in the present. When troubles come our way and things go from bad to worse, are we focused on the problems of the present or do we remember God's faithfulness in the past? You know, after my father broke his hip, I knew it was probably the beginning of the end for him because I knew they wouldn't be able to do chemo and without the chemotherapy, the cancer would be able to continue to grow without any inhibition. And my dad had to learn how to walk again, but I was amazed by my father's attitude through it all. He, he maintained a very positive outlook. Every day he did the rehab so that he might learn how to walk again. He kept working. He kept trying. He kept struggling. He maintained a positive attitude because he knew that, he knew that our God is faithful. And even when my dad signed up for hospice and he knew that he was going to die, he, he had a positive attitude because he knew that God was with him. You see, my dad, he died on a Friday, But my dad knew that, well, many, many years ago on a Friday, 
Judas was betraying. The soldiers were arresting. The disciples were fleeing. Peter was denying. The cock was crowing, but it was only Friday. Sunday was coming. Yes, you remember the story. On Friday, the Pharisees were condemning. The, uh, the crowds were, were yelling. Pilate was condemning. Soldiers were whipping. And Jesus was bleeding. But it was only Friday. Sunday was coming. You remember how it goes? The soldiers are nailing. The women are crying. The ground is shaking. The sky is darkening. Jesus is dying. But it's only Friday. Sunday. Is coming. Yes, my friends, Sunday changed everything. On Sunday, Jesus rose again. On Sunday, Jesus conquered the grave. And on Sunday, God proved once and for all that he is the God who keeps his promises. Amen? Amen. Yes, remembering the faithfulness of God in the past helps us deal with the challenges of the present. Remembering the faithfulness of God in the past helps us know that, yes, this too will pass, that our God reigns, that the victory is ours in Jesus. Notice that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, after telling us to rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice, the Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippi and all of us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If we're honest with ourselves, most of our prayers are, most of our prayers are filled with supplication and requests to God, right? We, we don't probably spend enough time thanking God for all that he has done for us. I love that acronym, A-C-T-S, ACTS, for prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We should begin our prayers by adoring God, thanking God for who he is, using the numerous names of God that we find in the Bible. He is the good shepherd. He he is the, the great I am. He is the alpha and the omega. He is our redeemer. He is our rock, our refuge in ever present times of trouble. He is our heavenly father who will never, never leave us nor forsake us. Yes, we, we adore God for who God is. And then as we think about God, we recognize that we are not all that God wants us to be. And so we humbly confess our sins to God, knowing that as we read in scriptures that God is faithful and just and will forgive us for all of our sins as we confess our sins to him. And after confessing our sins to God, we thank God for his forgiveness. We thank God for his grace. We thank God for the many blessings he has bestowed upon us. We thank God for the great gift of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. We thank God for his Holy Spirit who guides us and leads us all truth. And then we make our request, our supplications to God. Asking God to help us carry the present burden. Yes, if we will prayerfully remember God's faithfulness in the past by offering regular prayers of thanksgiving, then we will have faith in God's deliverance in the future. It's interesting, a study out of the University of California at Riverside has recently revealed that the people who keep a gratitude journal and simply write down three or five things that they're grateful for each and every day They found that these people who do this, all of them consistently, their level of happiness goes up by 25%. Just writing down what it is they're grateful for, three or five things. This is a wonderful thing for us parents or grandparents to do with our children, to say, hey, what are you grateful for today? To get them to begin to think about what is it they are grateful for today? Of course, we don't need a psychologist with a PhD to tell us the importance of giving thanks, do we? We simply need to read Philippians. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, where Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Is there anything more lovely, more commendable, more worthy of praise than the unconditional, sacrificial love of God that we find at the cross of Christ? Where Jesus, who was without sin, became sin for us by dying as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Is there anything more lovely, more beautiful, more worthy of praise than the empty tomb where Christ conquered sin and death on our behalf? It's the next time we find ourselves going, things going from, from bad to worse. May we remember the cross of Christ. May we remember the empty tomb. And may we give thanks to God for his deliverance, knowing that our God is faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the present. And he will deliver us in the future. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the God who is always faithful to fulfill your word. We thank you, O Lord, that you're the God who promises us that you will save us, that you will deliver us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. O God, we thank you that you're the God who has proven time and time again to be faithful. Lord, the next time we find ourselves going through hard times, may we, may we take some time to be still, to know that you're God, to give you thanks for your faithfulness in the past, that it might help us persevere through the present as we hopefully and eagerly await your deliverance in the future. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your